We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HT. You're going to follow me on Twitter. And it's Friday, November 18th. And we'll be talking about tomorrow's UFC Apex Vegas 65. It's They're, they're up to some number, right? I don't know what number they are. Uh, for the fight night card for tomorrow, it's an earlier card, 1 p.m. Eastern. So make sure, make sure you, you get you get your lineups in by then. 1 p.m. Eastern card. And uh, and also remember, MMA late swap. There's late swap now. We'll be talking about that a little bit uh, today, uh, about what to do, stuff like that. If you want a more detailed breakdown of the strategic differences now in MMA DFS on DraftKings, uh, two days ago on the pregame show, did a 90-minute episode, me and Nerdy Tenor. We talked all about it. It is pinned in the MMA section on the site. It's a free show, so you don't even have to be a, a combo premium MMA member of Roto-Grinders to watch it. So go check that out. We talk a ton about it. But uh, if you want the projections, if you want the ownership, if you want the expert survey, you want Liam's picks, you want everything behind the paywall here at Roto-Grinders for MMA, click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month of combo premium. You get everything with it. You get NFL, you get PGA, you get... NBA, you get you get everything. So why not? You get the Discord. You get to bother me, whatever you want, in the Blenders Game Theory channel, if you'd like. So go do that. Good morning, everyone in the chat. Defic, Wataz, Suki Singh, Kickstart, Adam Mizen, Bart, Jay Brown, Eagles, Late Swap. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, ugh. From what I could tell, they're setting the start times for these fights. Like, it's going to get progressively earlier as the as the day goes on as the slate goes on okay because they have the fight scheduled 20 minutes apart but we all know that the fights don't start 20 minutes apart so what's going to happen is that let, let me go to let me go to fight odds die because they always have the the order 
here, right? What's going to happen is that this Blada Silva fight is going to lock at four o'clock at, at one o'clock Eastern. Okay, but that fight isn't going to start until probably one ten. Okay, the Heistein Garcia fight is going to lock at one twenty, but it's probably not going to start until one forty, and then the Oliveira Demopolis fight will lock at 140, right? But not start till like 210. So like you see, there's going to there's gonna be a 10-minute gap and then a 15-minute gap and then a 20-minute gap. So by the time you get to the later fights, like the Lewis Spivak fight may lock, it's, it's scheduled to lock at 540. Like that may be just when like the Waldo's, the Cortez Acosta Sherman fight starts. So like the Kudalaba Kennedy fight and the Lewis Spivak fight made lock before even like like as WCA and Sherman take 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 the octagon, right? It's not going to be the type of thing where oh it it locks when they uh, fight you know when the clock starts. It's not going to be that they have set start times, and as you get down the card, you're going to have fights that lock you know a fight or two in advance. Of it, So it's not going to be the type of thing where you could le- go into the last fight and go, okay, can I swap Spivak for Lewis in some lineups? Like, no, the, the, the lineups are going to be locked by then, by the time you could even, by the, by the, by the last fight. You're going to have to decide that like before the Sherman Acosta fight, right? You're going to have to decide on whether or not you're keeping Ricky Tercios in your lineups, probably just before or right when the Oliveira Demopolis fight starts. Right, so you're not going to get the scores of the Oliveira Demopolis fight before you have to make a decision on the Turkios Natividad fight, and then keep on going, and it's going to get wider and wider as the as the uh, card goes on. From the description on DraftKings, they're at liberty to change the lock times for the fights, but it says only in the case of a cancellation. So, such as a mid card cancellation, and then they move the fight times. So, for instance, in the for it happens, what, two or three times a year, maybe? If we find out for whatever reason, right, let's just say uh, Miles Johns, Vince Morales gets scrapped mid, mid-card, right? We find out at four, at one thirty. Up, Johns, Morales ain't going to happen. Like, what they're going to do is they're going to now push, you know, some, some fight to the prelims or they're going to move something to the main card. They may flip. And that one fight may end up going on later. And then that's when DraftKings will then go, oh, okay, now we got to change the start times. So obviously we don't want to fight locking, you know, two fights after it even happened, right? You know, oh, it's out. Hey, hopefully someone gets a quick win bonus and then you switch to it, right? You're, you're, you'll be disqualified if you do do that. Uh, but that's, that's from what I could tell from the language that they will only change the lock times of the fights if there's some type of scheduling difference with the UFC, they switch fight orders or something or a cancellation or something like that. So it's not the type of thing. I don't believe, based on the language, that they'll be monitoring how how the fights progress. And then the, the Lewis Spivak fight, which is scheduled on their site at 540 Eastern, that they end up, oh, this will lock at 610, right? They'll move it up a half an hour because they see that, you know, they're, 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 they're running, they're running fast. They're running behind that. I don't, I don't think they're going to change it. It's going to make it so that that you're not going to be able by the end to switch like on the last fight at the before the last fight. You're going to have to choose that like two or three fights before that. Okay. 
So just be aware of that, because I think a lot of people aren't. A lot of people are going into this going, oh, yeah, before the last fight, I could do this. Before the second to last fight, I could do this. It's like, no, if, you, if you're going to switch from Kennedy to Kudalaba in some lineups, you may have to decide that, like, before the Fialo-Salikov fight, which is two fights before it. Like, that, that may end up, that probably ends up happening. So I really want to make you aware of that. If you're going to utilize late SWAT, which you should be, you gotta be you gotta be aware when the, the lock times are. Don't 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 get, end up getting stuck. Oh, watching a couple of fights and then go. Okay, I'm gonna switch out Charles Johnson for Zalgus or whatever, and then realize that even though you just watched the Morales Johns fight, that that fight is already locked at that time. Like, oh, what ended up happening there? Oh, and then you start complaining to DraftKings on that. So they're gonna get complaints either way for for this late swap stuff. Uh, so what I've done in my sheet, uh in a non-precise way is that I've added another column to my, my model. If you want to call it a model, it's not a model. Uh, and it's an optionality column. And the later the fight means the more information you have, which means it's more valuable to have slots later. It doesn't mean that uh, it's extremely valuable, but it's more valuable. So instead of weighing that by myself and go, well, if I had a choice between playing this guy or that guy, and it's like 50-50, I'll play the later fighter, I'll just incorporate that into my ratings. So I've used this optionality column that I've basically taken all the fights and divided by 100. So there are 12 fights, divided, 100 divided by 12 is 8.33. And then just the first fight is 8. The second fight is 16. The third fight is 25, right? It like goes up by there. So it scales all the way up to 100. So the last fight of the, the main event, optionality rating is 100, meaning that I get the most optionality in my lineups by playing main event fighters. I get a little less by playing the co-main event and, and all the way down. And that incorporates into the rating to a little degree, like not a huge degree. In my in my in my in the way that it calculates my ratings, it's it 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 could be anywhere from zero to 0.07 worth in a rating so it's not that dramatic it's really not that dramatic so the difference between spivak and natalia silva is like a difference of like 0.07 in my rating now is, is that an exact oh that's the exact calculation no I'm, I'm literally just estimate i'm just like sounds good to me right how much should i weight this i have no idea sounds good to me something that is enough but not too much but also not too little so then I can build lineups and go, okay, I don't have to worry about when, when the fight time is. I go, okay, obviously the, the, the fights on the main card, I'll get a little bit of a bump, right? The main event gets a little bit of a bump and the early prelims get a little bit of a downgrade, but not, not to a huge extent. So that's what I'm doing just so I could, I could properly uh, weigh lineups against each other a little bit more. Now on this card, uh, we have we have a lot of close fights on this card. Other than the Madel- Della Madalena Roberts fight, like most of these fights, I, these these are the odds from yesterday. So I don't know if anything's really moved significantly. But outside of Della Madalena versus Roberts, all these other fights are like two to one or, or less. So this is the type of slate where we could see five, six underdogs win. The problem though is that the ITD lines on this slate are are quite bad. Outside of like a handful of fights. And they're mostly on the main card and not on the prelims. So it could be that we get five underdogs that win. 
and they still don't make the optimal lineup. Like my, my, on the, on the expert survey this week, my hot take, my hot take is at least five underdogs win, but only two make the optimal lineup. Cause I could see Vince Morales winning against, uh, Miles Johns and scoring 70 points. I could see Teresa Blada winning a decision against Natalia Silva and getting 78 points or Maya beating Morose and getting 62 points, like stuff like that. Derek Lewis getting a third round knockout on Spivak and getting what? 58 points because he doesn't throw anything. So although I think leaving salary on the table is uh is prudent in a, in a, on a slate where there's a lot of uh, underdogs that are viable because they're closer fights. <clears throat> the ceilings though still belong to a lot of these high priced fighters, and also understand with late swap you can build lineups that spend 50k in salary, and by the end have lineups that only spend 48k in salary. Right? It's not something you necessarily even need to build for immediately. Like I could build a lineup, for instance, here. Like, let's say, let's build a lineup in lineup HQ. Let's say I play Jack Della Maddalena and Sergey Sergey Spiva, my lineup. Maybe Brady Highstand, like a n- nice chalky lineup. I'm building kind of like a cash lineup, right? I see here, how much do I have? 75, 67. Maybe I play Kudalaba. He'll be popular against Kennedy. 76, 50. Play Zuma Gulov, right? I'm pretty much building a cash lineup. Maybe play Vince Morales there, whatever, right? I have a lineup that has 50K. Right. And then we go through it and then we go through the fights and go, okay, high stand, high stand wins. So you're like, okay, I like that. I got a 38% high stand, 100 point score. Right. You go through and now you get to like Vince Morales and Morales loses or something or whatever. Like you get to a point where it's like, oh, the only way I can make up stuff is like, okay, let me get rid of Chalky, let me get rid of Chalky, Zuma Gulov and and, uh, Kudalaba. And let me play Chase Sherman instead, right? Instead of playing Spivak, I'm going to play Derek Lewis instead, right? The other side of the fight. And then I still have Della Madalena up there. And then maybe I play uh, uh, Marina Moroz or Charles Johnson. Maybe I play Charles Johnson or Ricky Tercios. I play Ricky Tercios instead because I had that Morales loss in my lineup or a low score. Right. He wins, but he puts up 60 points or something. And then I get to a different lineup now. And this lineup, 48-6. <coughs> I can come down even lower. Like if I don't want to play Lewis and I still want to play Spivak, play put Spivak there, then play, you know, Muslim Salikov or something. Now you now you have a 49-5 lineup. So you can build lineups that spend most of the salary and still get to end up getting to lineups that leave salary on the table. So this type of late swaps change dramatically affects, I think, people that try to build low lower salary uniques. Because even the people that don't and spend most of their salary could still end up getting there. So that's what I will be doing. I will be playing, I will be playing only seven lineups. I'm playing primarily <coughs> single entry three max types of contests, smaller field stuff. 100, 200, 400 man. Right, the 555, the $200 three max, the $100 single entry, the 140 qualifiers, you know, for the MMA final, like that type of stuff. And those seven lineups, I'll be swap. I mean, like, I'll be swapping. 
instead instead of building 50 lineups and having to do that now i'll throw them in all these other contests also so there may be times where i'm going to be like well i have this in five different contests but maybe i split this lineup five different ways right so maybe in the large field whatever $18 $15 whatever it is i have one type of lineup by right? in midway through the card i'm like okay let me split that up i'm going to split this into here this one will be into the 8 $8 tournament. This one will be into the $40 single entry. And I start with one lineup out of the seven. And by the end of the slate, I have like 25 lines in different contests to figure out the combinations and cover my ass here and try to min cash there. Understand that with late swap, you are playing two different games. Okay. After every fight, it's a new game. After every fight is a new game. After every fight is a new game. Drill that into your head. And there's two primary games that you're going to be playing. You're either going to be playing Find the Optimal or Rescue a Min Cash. Those are the two games that you're going to be playing. We discussed this on the 90-minute the uh, video that me and Nerdy Tenor did. Okay? So if you get a loss, like it's very hard, unless it's a, a, a low price underdog that scores decently in a loss, most likely if you have a loss, you're, li- you're most likely not playing to win first place. Most likely, okay, in most scenarios. So let's say you play a lineup that, you know, we'll put that same lineup back up. Della Madalena, Spivak, uh, High Stand, Zumagulov, Kudalaba, Vince Morales. So once, if you the first fight that you get to this lineup and you have Vince, Vince Morales and he loses, you are no longer playing for first. You are now playing for whatever the min cash line is. You're playing for the 20, you know, the whatever, 200 and whatever place or, you know, the 3,000th place or whatever it is, whatever to get to the 1.5x line, okay? So you have to figure out how do I get the most amount of points? How do I get, how do I get five winners into my lineup? There's no, I, you don't even care about the score even. Like, how do I get five? I got a loser. Let me try to get five winners. Typically, if you get five winners in your lineup, you're going to cash. And a lot of slates, if you get four winners in your lineup, no matter what their scores are, you probably have a decent shot at cashing also. So once you have one loss in your lineup, you should probably be optimizing for win equity of the remaining fighters in your lineup. You want to get as many, many floor points as possible. You don't care about ceiling anymore. Why? You have no shot at first place. So don't worry about it. Now, let's say you have this lineup and the first fight of the night, Teresa Blada at 7,300 puts up 120 points. Okay? 120 points at 7,300. You look at your lineup and go, well, a $7,300 fighter put up 120 points. They're most likely going to be optimal. Is there a case where Teresa Blada is not optimal? Well, she would have to be a top, she would have to not be a top six fighter which means six other fighters need to outscore 120 points. Let me tell you, that's probably not going to happen. That's very, very, I I don't know how rare it is that you get seven fighters that score 120 plus, that the seventh one doesn't make the the optimal, probably not. So once that, let's say you have this lineup and the first fight happens and she scores 120 points as a $7,300 underdog, Well, now you're looking at your lineup and you're doing the same exact thing. You're now playing a different game. You're playing rescue a min cash game. You're not playing for the top lineup in that scenario. 
So you look at your lineup and go, okay, how do I optimize for as many wins as possible? <clears throat> maybe it comes down to maybe you stat maybe you say, okay, now that that's happened, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a stack of Spivak and Lewis just to make sure I get a winner. Look, because Lewis could knock him out or something like that. Maybe you choose to uh, go and you you're probably limiting the amount of variance in your lineup. Now let's say, on the other hand, instead of Blada putting up that score, it was Krista with De Silva. Let's say De Silva in the first fight I'm using as an example puts up at what what is she 8900 let's say she puts up 100 points is she going to be optimal at 8900 possible but it's the, the the jury's still out would I like to have 100 points for 8900 sure I would love it I think she's more more than she's a favorite to make the optimal but you still got Morose most likely not going to make 100 but he still got Cortez Acosta, Spivak, and Madalena, who could all outscore Silva. Now, that doesn't mean that Silva can't also be in the lineup, right? Two of these guys <coughs> score a bunch, and you need Silva also. I mean, that's possible as well. But when Silva puts up 100 points, you have to now go, what game am I playing with my lineup? If you think that Silva is going to be optimal, then you're now playing rescue him in cash. If you think that 100 points for Silva is not going to be optimal, then you should be building lineups where Silva can't be optimal. If you understand what I'm talking about. Okay? So you take a look here. If Silva is optimal, if for what kind of lineup can Silva be optimal and still contain guys ab- above her? So let's say we put Della Maddalena, Spivak, and Silva there. 74th. 33. So in these types of lineups that have Silva yet still have Della Maddalena and Spivak, like most likely would have Sherman, most likely would have Kudalaba, and then most likely have like someone like uh, like uh, Zumagulov, like some type of lineup like this. Silva could still be optimal in these in these scenarios, right? Because you could fit in all of these people. And she gets 100 points. But how about lineups that contain these three? Like you spend all the way up. Della Madalena, Spivak, Cortez Acosta. Well, now, now you have very now you need to play Maya. You need to play Kudalaba. I don't even know if I don't even know if you could fit this in. And 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 Zuma Gulov. There's really only one combination here. You're gonna run into dupes doing this. But basically, you're trying to figure out what type of lineup if you don't have Silva. What type of lineup, even with Silva getting 100 points, is your lineup optimal? Where she may be like the, the fifth highest score, but but at 8,900, like two underdogs beat her anyway. Like maybe Fernie Garcia gets a gets a knockout against High Stand. Maybe Sherman gets a quick win bonus against Corsair Acosta, and they both beat out Silva, and they're so much cheaper. So now, like Della Maddalena and Spivak could just score like 105, even though they're 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 much more expensive than her. The five extra raw points may matter because now you can fit in everyone. So after every fight, you should be thinking to yourself when you look at a single lineup of yours. So you'd be doing you'd be doing this thought process every lineup that you look at that you have. If you're playing 20 lineups, you have to look at lineup one. What game am I playing? 
Look at lineup two. What game am I playing? Look at lineup three. What game am I playing? And determine what it is that you're going to do. If you have an early fighter, if let's say you have Teresa Blada in your lineup, first fight of the night, she scores 120 points. You're playing for the optimal now. First, first place, right? You should be building your lineup accordingly. If you don't have Blada in your lineup, you're playing. If you have 10 lineups and you only have one Teresa Blada lineup, you're essentially playing for first in only one lineup. The other nine lineups, your goal is grab as much win equity as possible. Try to get five wins. And then the next time, they, if you get a loss, another loss, you're trying to get four wins. Do you have another loss and you only have three? Now you now you have to go way off. Now you have to start the fading whatever chalk is possible. And We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, now you have, in order to rescue that lineup, you're going to need a lot of chalk to fail. Right, you should be playing the, the leverage play. You're playing Danny Roberts in that lineup, right? To rescue a three-loss lineup is going to be pretty tough. Four-loss lineup, uh, a, a four-loss lineup, you're pretty much done. Two-loss lineup, you could get there. Five, a, a five-win line, a one-loss lineup, you probably cash. So know what game you're playing. I know I, I'm harping on this, but people are not going to use late swap appropriately. They're going to get a loss and think that, okay, I have a loss. I need to get really off the board now. Like what's going to happen is let's say for some odd reason, okay, I'm using the first fight because it's easier. You have Teresa Blada in your lineup. And let's say you have Della Madalena, you have Spivak, you have High Stand, right? You're not all that different. You have Fialio and you have Zuma Gulov, right? A pretty chalky lineup. You probably shouldn't have built it in the first place. For win effort to win first place uniquely. So you have this lineup right here. What people are gonna do is bleed is gonna lose, right? She 20 points, 25 points, whatever it is. And people are gonna look at their lineup and go, I gotta get rid of chalk. I gotta get rid of chalk, right? I gotta change out Della Madalena. I gotta play Marina Moroz. I gotta switch out Spivak and leave money on the table and play Ricky Tercios. It's like, dude, if you get five wins here. Della Madalena, like, and like, these are, these are, these are the, some of the better plays on the slate. You'll cash. You'll be, you'll, you should be fine. Like this lineup, even with Blade as 20 points is perfectly fine for the game that you are playing. If you're playing for the optimal, then yeah, then you have to get really weird in, in, in the sense that 
how do I win first place with a $7,300 fighter that lost with 20 points? And it's still the optimal lineup. It's very difficult for that to happen. Being the highest scoring underdog at 20 points. If you could figure out a way where that still is optimal, good luck to you. But most likely it's not. But people will be switching as if they're trying to find the optimal. Going, okay, well, I got to get rid of 50% to Madalena. I got to play Danny Roberts. I got to do, like, dude, you're, you're, you're almost, you're so, you're so unlikely, so improbable for you to win first place with that loss there. Don't play the I need to get the first game. Play the I need to get to the 1.5 X line game. So at this point, you should just be leaving. You're, you're, you're fine. Okay, your lowest owned fighter lost. But you still got five fighters in here, right? And let's say the next fight, High Stand wins. And he's owned. Okay, you're not there yet. But let's say High Stand loses. Fernie Garcia knocks him out in the first round. So now you have 20 points from Blita and five points from High Stand. Now you're at the position where it's like, okay, <clears throat> I'd like to get four wins, but maybe, maybe I take I take away some of the variants. I take away Fialio and Zumagulov, and maybe try to get try to get win equity with a slightly less ownership. But you may still leave Delamitalena in there. You may still leave Spivak in there. Four wins, you may be good, but you may need to get a little bit of leverage. May have to get a little bit of it. Now after three, now after now after three losses, now that's when you should be. Now you, now you got to take those guys out. Now 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 your only your only chance at one point five x. Now you, now you're a long shot. So you can't be playing fifty percent, forty percent on fighters anymore. But what people are going to do is they're going to get one loss and they're going to overreact, and they're going to play lineups that they think that they need to play low owned stuff in order to make up ground. Yeah, you do at some point, but you're not making up ground for first place. You just need to make up ground to get to the cash line. That's it. If you get five wins, you're probably there. So leave the guys in your lineup that if they're more likely to win. People are going to do the opposite. They're going to go, what did I do wrong? It's like I ended up with a lineup that 47-4 with five underdogs and whatever. And, it, and oh, and only had one win because I had to, oh, well, I had to get risky. Because I got that first loss early. No, just try to, you, you, at that point, you just try to get five winners. That's it. Winners. Who cares if they score 68 points in a win? Who cares? Just get high floor players in there. High floor fighters. Once you get down to two losses and three losses, then you, then you, then you're starting to move because you're playing a different game. People are going to, people are going to get that one loss and still think they're playing the, I need to play for first game. You're not playing that game anymore. You're playing now. Blada goes out and scores 120 points. Now that lineup, you're you're playing that game now. You're now in contention. Now you can lick your chops. You can do Mr. Burns' hands, and you can play for it. And as the as the card goes on, that's what you should be doing with your lineups. What game am I playing? Being used to figuring out what is more likely to be optimal than not, without even using Sims or anything. Just go with Della Madalena. I mean, I know I know the fight order is different, but let's say Della Madalena wins and puts up 90 points only, gets a second round knockout, but he's 9,600. The only way that he could be optimal is if he's a top six fighter, right? Because if he's a seven top seven fighter, then obviously someone cheaper than him have outscored him and would be in the lineup instead of him. 
So you have to think, okay, I have Della Madalena in my lineup with 92 points. There's already been three fighters that scored 100 plus. So the only way that Della Madalena is optimal is if he's a top six scorer and you could fit him in. So visualize what that lineup looks like and go, okay, let me make sure my lineup looks like that. Oh, and those lineups, I need to play. I need to play a $7,200 fight. I need this, this lineup. I need to play Chase Sherman, right? It needs to be like someone cheap would have to win, right? Or it could be the type of thing where Waldo Cordes Acosta can't beat out Madalena, right? You take a look and you're like, Madalena is the fourth highest scorer. And you still got Spivak and Cortez Acosta left to fight. And it's like, if both of them outscore Madalena, well, then Madalena's not optimal anymore. If one of them beats Madalena, it's quite possible that he's not optimal anymore. So you should be building lineups where, okay, for Ma- Della Madalena to be optimal at 92 points at this point in the card, Spivak can't get 92 points and Waldo Acosta can't get 92 points. Well, what's correlated to those events? Well, if Cortez Acosta doesn't score 92 points, maybe Chase Sherman is the one that wins. So in that lineup, maybe you're playing, instead of playing Ian Kudalaba, you move down to Sherman, knowing that your win instance here is Cortez Acosta losing. Not necessarily in Chukwu losing, but Cortez Acosta losing. Or you play Derek Lewis, because Spivak losing is part of your first place win condition. That's how you should be thinking. What game are you playing? I'll be repeating this like every week that we play MMA. I know next week we have off because of Thanksgiving weekend. But with late swap, even if you're playing one lineup, single entry, if you're playing cash games, double ups, head to heads, what game are you playing? Put a post-it note. Are you playing for first? Or are you playing for min cash? Those are the two primary games. And depending on the size of the field, first place doesn't necessarily need to be optimal. If it's large field, it pretty much most likely has to be. But in the smaller field, the 555, maybe it doesn't have to be totally optimal. You probably need six winning fighters and high scores. Yeah, you do. But do you need the best possible lineup? No. Jason Stansell asks, what percentage of the field did you estimate will actively be swapping? It, I would say it depends on the field size, the, the stakes. I don't know. I mean, I would assume that the sharper players will be swapping. How actively swapping? I don't know. But it would be nuts not to. The sharper players would know better. There may be some that play 150 lineups and don't, don't even bother. I think swapping is less of a concern in large field versus small field. Now it's still, you should still be doing it in large field, but the effects of it are minimal, min are less, not minimal, but less than in small field. Only because in large field, you still pretty much need to get the optimal. In small field, you don't need the optimal and you're sitting there with two fights to go. You see, People above you that have one spot left, you could pretty much figure out what they got and then swap your lineups. If the other, if they're not paying attention, you'll know exactly what to do at that point. And if people behind you aren't paying attention, it's like it's, they're, just, they're just handing you EV. Because there's less lineups to look at. I mean, just to move up a, 
to another lineup in, in a large field, maybe like a thousand spots in the five fifty five, It may be five spots. Like that's it. And the difference in five spots in the five fifty five, the difference between sixth place and first place, or even 10th place and fifth place is a lot more money than in the large field going from seven, 1700th place to 1300th place. Wow, you went from like 1.5x to 2x. And I mean, there's value in it, but not as much value as going up from like $1,000 to $5,000. Brian C. asks, are you considering any late swap possibilities in your ownership projections, i.e. people swapping off a chalk, making them less chalky and vice versa? Not necessarily. Not at the current moment. Not until I see, Right. I will need to judge that over the course of, of a decent amount of slates where I would look and go, well, I projected this guy to be 42% owned main event favorite. And he ends up coming in at when he, when the fight locks at 34 and I'm like, yeah, the extra 8% could have been people swapping off. And we see Derek Lewis, who I projected for 32 ends up being 38, right? The 6% kind of goes there. I don't know. There's going to be an effect, but I don't know how dramatic it's going to be. So I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what to do to judge it initially. All I could do is, I'm judging the ownership as if there's no late swap of like pre-lock, you know, at lock. What has everyone got? And then going forward, then I I could adjust from there in my late swaps and go, yeah, anyone, you know, if if high stand who's going to probably be popular this slate, he loses at 8,500. I have to assume that a lot of some of the chalkier fighters may come down two or three percentage points in ownership because people will look and go, wow, I got a 38% owned fighter with the 10. I got to swap. I got in those high stand lineups. I got to get rid of Spivak and Della Madalena. I got to get rid of Kudalaba in that lineup and they'll move to other people. How many people move? How many entries move? I don't know. Maybe it's not as many as we think. Maybe it's a lot more than we think. I, I don't know. There's no way There's no way for me to judge that currently. I don't know how big of an effect it's going to be. And I don't know in what contest it will have more of an effect. But no, there's no, there's no reason for me to incorporate that into ownership just yet. Although if I see that is significant enough, then I will do that. I will use this optionality score and also adjust the ownership to it as well. The ones with the higher optionality, like, see, the thing is, even if you do that, you don't know which way you're going. See, that's the problem in doing it like pre-lock. Because let's take that example of high stand at 8,500. Probably going to be chalky in the mid-range. Second fight of the night. High stand loses. Which means people with Spivak lineups are more likely to switch to Lewis. Right? Or more likely to switch to Moroz or some, you know, people will be starting to get off of Madalena and Spivak because they're the two high price chalky favorites because they have them in high stand lineups that have a loss in it. But let's say high stand wins. Well, now it's like, okay, my high stand lineups, let me get Della Madalena and Spivak in it. So if high stand loses, maybe Spivak's ownership goes from 42 to 34. But if high stand wins, maybe it goes from 42 to 54. Maybe it goes the other way. So then how would you do that pre-lock? I don't know. It depends on who loses early. There's probably some way you could create a range like that. 
There definitely is a mathematical way to do that. To judge that the higher on the earlier fighters are, the more likely that later fighters are going to be affected by this. There's some way to do that. Probably Nerdy Tanner knows how to do that. But I will be judging that directionally myself as the card goes on. Grant Brown asks, could you automate swapping for min cash by optimizing for win odds instead of fantasy points? Just trim your CSV for the lineups that have a shot at being optimal so you don't impact those. Yes, that, that's how I would do it if I had a lot of lineups. Yes, I would exact, I would do it pretty much exactly that way. Very similar to what I do in like football or basketball when I play a lot of lineups. Identify the lineups that I need to rescue from the ones that I don't need to rescue. And then those are the ones where I get at, get rid of chalk and, you know, stuff like that. I do certain things for those lineups versus other lineups. So, yes, if you're playing a lot of lineups, I would do some, something like that. You wouldn't audit. It's not automating. You'd still have to run, you know, the, the late swap tool on lineup HQ. But, yeah, that would, that would, that would be the type of thing. Like, get Bleda wins, right? You got Bleda. Let's say you have 100 lineups and you have Teresa Bleda in 20 of them. Right? And yet... Blade puts up 120. Well, you take those 20 lineups and you're like, okay, I could, I could throw, I could optimize those for ceiling for optimal rate. And then the other 80, you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you may stack the main event. Maybe not this main event, but in general may go, okay, how do I, how do I maximize for five wins? I don't have the first 120 point winner in my lineup. (coughs) <laughs> those lineups may not even have Natalie, Natalie Natalia Silver in it. You still have six open spots, but you know, without the 120 point underdog that won in the first fight, you can't really win first. Like, okay, how do, how do I optimize for six wins? You essentially switch your lineups into a cash lineup as much as possible. Cause that's the game you're playing in those lineups. Defix says, I imagine the lag and scoring and early locking later in the day, Will make me start throwing monitors. Yes, most likely uh, you'll you'll there'll be a lock on a fight, a fight in advance before you even get the round three scoring of the fight that just happened. So estimating that is going to be important also. So you're watching the fight and you're like, okay, they're probably going to score around ninety four, right? He's on the third round. There was a takedown, like two minutes of control, maybe twenty thirty strikes or whatever. The decision comes in, it's 29, 28, whatever. And it's like, okay, right now they're at like 62, you know, 68 or something. And then you're like, okay, I think they, they probably scored like 20 points that round. And then you base it on that. You could also look at the ESPN stats, which isn't official. It's, it's at least an estimate. Grant Brown says, I've always thought of MMA as the best way to learn DFS. This late is a lesson in bankroll management. Possibly. If you don't have a late swap strategy already in place, at least mentally, understand how much edge you're giving up. And especially early, the first slate with late swap, you know how many people are either not going to do it or do it badly? Get the edge while it's new. That's why there are a lot of sharp players that are like, well, if I can't if I can't be around to make these swaps, they're just not going to play. Hopefully the content prize pools don't go down. But that's why a lot of weeks now on this show, we maybe focus a lot on late swap strategy and not even talking about lineup construction or anything and be like, 
Okay, let's see what the order of the fights are and what do we do when one thing happens and another thing doesn't. High stand is in the second fight of the night. He's going to be the most popular mid-range play. He may be the third most highest on fighter on the slate even. That fight's going to matter. His He's going to matter the most. To see what a 35 to 40% on fighter scores second fight of the night out of 12. So the higher owned the fighters are early, the more impactful they are on your late swap decisions. That doesn't mean, oh, does that mean you play him or you don't play him? No, it just means that after getting after knowing that information, it's going to matter a lot more because it's going to, 40% of the field will either have a good score or a bad score or a middling score. You'll know a lot more about more of the lineups in your contest. Okay, so give me a thumbs up. Thummy thumbs on your way out the door. Makes the game a lot more interesting. I mean, I I, I, I enjoy the late swap, uh, you know, strategy thinking about it. The, the thing is that playing 100 lineups and trying to do it all at once, after every fight with lock times, maybe you need to know two fights in advance. Makes it not enjoyable, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I like the fact you set all your lineups. You get all the ownership at lock. You see all the lineups. You can download the CSV. You can run a sim and see the EV of every lineup and just just sit down for six hours and watch the card. Now you can't do that anymore. So that's why I'm only playing a limited handful of lineups. Also, because I know that in the smaller field stuff, it matters more. So maybe in the future, I will be playing 20, 50, 100 lineups. But until I have a, a a distinct process that I'm comfortable with, I'm much more likely to just, I'll be on my phone. I'll be on the couch. I can visualize, I conceptualize what these, what optimal lineups could look like, who needs to beat what. And I can scroll through the leaderboard, especially in a 555 with what, 240 people or something. I can see who has what and what salary they got. I, worst case scenario, I can come to my computer, use the Roto-Grinders extension and see that. But I get to try to get the best of, uh, best of both worlds. Get an edge, the place that has the most edge, the smaller field stuff, and do it in a way where I'm less prone to errors because I don't have as many lineups. We got a lot of NFL content coming out this this uh, today. We got a ton of stuff for week 11. It's week 11, right, in NFL? I believe so. Uh, that I'm doing the game theory show, NFL game theory show that's for premium people. It's for the pay people. Pay for the stuff. It'll be coming out later this afternoon. I do it with Tuttle. We're going through the entire slate for correlation and leverage. It's it's, it's a pretty efficient slate. It's not, it's not the most exciting slate at all. But we'll be going through it. We've got NBA tonight. NBA Grinders Live. We got uh, World Cup stuff, right? Be, uh, Sean and Alex will be doing for the group stage, which is pr- pretty much the first week and a half to two weeks doing a short show the night before every World Cup slate. So that's for premium members. We also have the projections there for soccer. I also did yesterday a whole soccer 101, soccer DFS 101 for DraftKings. So if that's pinned in the soccer section, that's free. So you could you could watch that if you want. And uh and I'll be back on uh, on Monday. Right? I'm always here. Always here trying to find the edge. Trying to answer your DFS strategy questions. 
11 o'clock Eastern, Monday through Friday, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.